have some extra Bibles there on the back uh, table. Genesis 2. We'll give you all a minute to find it and settle in. Kids are headed downstairs. Genesis chapter 2. And let's see here. Genesis chapter 2 is on page number 3 in the uh, Simplified there. And we've been working through Genesis um, verse by verse. We're now down to verse 21. And we're looking specifically today at the creation of the woman. And um, the creation of the man, the creation of the woman took a little different um, approach in how God did that. And the final creation of God was the woman, and that's when he decided he would stop creating. Verse 21 to 25 is the reading, and is there a couple folks that would like to read? Uh, there's one, and do we have one other? Okay, Joanne, did you raise your hand? You did not raise your hand. Okay, so uh, why don't we have Amanda read verse 21 and 22, and... Um, did you volunteer also? Okay. So, Joanna, let's have you read 23, um, and then Pastor Jeremiah, you can read 24 and 25. All right. So, we are doing Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse number 21. Okay, let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word today, and we pray that the truth of these scriptures would minister grace and truth, encouragement, and uh, each uh, benefit that you want to give us from it. I thank you for the Holy Spirit who helps us to understand, and we pray, Lord, that you will um, be glorified and lifted high in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so picking up in verse 21. Um, it said earlier in the lead-up verses last week that the animals had been created, and then Adam was naming the animals. And so the animals are brought by, and God arranged it such that Adam was created, and he saw all these animals, he named all these animals, but he did not have a helper for him. And the Bible lays it out such that God was intentionally, I believe, pointing out to Adam that he needed someone else, that he was currently alone. And so perhaps the idea is that he would take her more seriously after the creation and see the need for her more directly. So it says, The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. So um, God causes Adam to sleep. And we would assume um, that this is the this is day six, right? And I don't know if you've thought this through, but we, when do we sleep, you and I? We sleep at the nighttime. This is the day. Well, some people sleep in the daytime, you know, if you work their shifts or if you're on meds, you know, who knows? Sometimes you sleep in the day, naps and so on. But our big sleeping is at night. And Adam hadn't had a night yet, had he? 
Because this is still day six. So this is the first time Adam ever went to sleep. Adam never, ever slept before this time. So his first sleep was a deep sleep that God caused to fall on Adam. So Adam falls asleep, and he sleeps, and then it says, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead of it. Now, you have to think this through from the angle of why is God doing it this way? God could have done it differently. How did God form Adam? Right out of the dust of the ground. God made Adam out of the dust of the ground. He formed him, and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and Adam became alive. So Adam was formed from the dust of the ground, and then this is, we have Adam, he came from dust, and then we have Eve. Eve did not come in the same way. Eve came from where? From Adam, who himself came from the dust of the ground, right? But God is creating Eve out of Adam's rib. He's doing that specifically. He's not doing this on accident. And so, uh, as I was thinking about this, uh, you know how people joke about, did Adam have a belly button? Have you heard that? You know, it's not a joke, it's a question, but sort of a joke. But then my question is, did he have a little mark on his side where God took the rib out? which is very, you know, a legitimate question. Did he heal it back up where you couldn't tell, or did he leave a mark? I don't know. But he took a rib out of his side, and then it says, and closed up the flesh instead of it. This sounds like the first ever surgery, doesn't it? The first surgery. And so God took out of Adam a rib. Now, it says a rib, and I, I don't know the best way to share this other than to ask it this way, but... How many of you have ever eaten ribs? Okay, some of you really like ribs, all right? I like ribs. When you eat ribs, you don't eat the bone, do you? That's the part you don't eat. You eat the meat that's on the bone. And when it says he took out a rib, in my mind, I always imagined the bone, right? But I believe it's the bone and the flesh because of what he says up in our next verse, or in verse 23, actually. So God opens Adam's side, and he takes out a rib, and on the rib, he has the, the bone and the meat, and he takes it out, and then he puts it back together and closes him up. And from this, he makes Eve. Now, doesn't this kind of sound strange, right? Why is God doing it this way? Why isn't he making Eve the way he made Adam? I mean, he could have just formed Eve from the dust of the ground, and he could have just breathed into her nostrils a breath of life. But um, I believe that Adam is created as he was on purpose, and Eve was created as she was on purpose, and it was for Adam's benefit that she was created as she was for him to understand and see her differently. Some men have a negative view of women. Did you know this? Did you also know that some women have a negative view of men? And part of this battle of genders is because sin has entered the world. But God in his design, I believe, is pointing Adam to the importance of Eve and to say, Eve was taken out of your side. And um, someone said it this way, the, the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, or not out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side 
to be equal with him and under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be beloved. And God intentionally took that rib and I believe that was meant to be a picture to Adam of the importance of his wife. If you are a husband here and you have a wife, you should treat your wife seriously. And remember how God took special pains. I wonder if Adam had pain afterwards. If so, it was the first pain there ever was. If not, that came after the fall. I don't know. But, um, but God did it in a such a way that Adam would take his wife seriously and see that she is indeed special and that she's not the same as he is. Men and women are different. And some of that animosity that different genders have towards one another is simply because we don't appreciate the God-given difference between men and women. And God here is showing a distinction between the two. Um, is there anyone else in the Bible who went through something like this, like Adam did? Wheels are turning. People are thinking. You're going through Genesis. Nope, nothing there. You're going through Exodus. Nothing there. Keep going much further. Is there anyone else who was, let's say it this way, was there anyone else who was put to sleep for a time and had a wound in his side and out of that wound came a bride? Christ Jesus. Christ the Lord Jesus was put to sleep for three days, sleep meaning death. And he had a wound in his side wherewith flowed blood and water. And in Ephesians 5, it says that he has purchased the church with his own blood. And the church is the bride of Christ. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And we are close to the Lord's heart, just as that rib is close to the heart of, of Adam. And we're part of his body. In fact, I want to read um, just briefly... If you want to listen, you can. If you want to turn there, I'll give you the page number. Ephesians 5 is the text, and we'll be reading on page 1117. And in Ephesians 5, we have Scripture that explains the relationship Jesus has with his church with this text here. So, um, Ephesians 5, verse 28. And it says, So men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord does the church. Now listen carefully to this next verse. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two of them shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church, right? So the picture that we see here of Adam and Eve and how God took this rib out of Adam is also a spiritual picture for us of Jesus and the church. And it's not a picture that I came up with, you know, sucking it out of my thumb in my office downstairs, right? The Bible drew that connection in Ephesians 5. And the, the relationship is designed so that we would see this story, I should say, was designed for its own self, but also as a picture of something that would come later. Jesus died for his bride, the church. He loves the church. He gave himself for it. Therefore, Jesus loves the church the way he loves himself. And there's a strong relationship that Jesus has with his church. Sometimes I don't think we 
understand how deeply Jesus loves his own bride. You know, we know that we're loved by Jesus, but I don't think we know the depth of that. Here Adam says, this is um, in verse, okay, I'm jumping ahead to 23. Is there any question or comment on verse 21? Who has the mic? All right, is there any question or comment on verse 20? All right, Pastor Jeremiah. Is there a, obviously we don't know which rib, but isn't there a rib at the bottom of our rib cage that can be removed? It, it's not necessary and that there, sort of thing. Some people have had ribs removed. Sometimes it's more than one. You, you can live with more than one. It just gets more dangerous the more you take away. <laughs> okay. So, you know, unnecessary might not be the word, but it's certainly not vital for existence. You know? Okay. Yeah. Um, I've just heard people conjecture that it was that rib down there right. at the bottom of the rib cage. So. Well, it says it was one, and yeah. it doesn't say it was two, so we assume he took one. But yes, you can have ribs removed, and it's not uh, the end of the world. Ribs are for protection of all these organs, right? So I assume if you got an angled something or other, you know, poking up through, you'd be in trouble. But, um, I mean, you can get an angled something or other coming from below the rib, and you're still in trouble, right? So it's a degree of protection. Um, but that's a good question. Anyone else? Question or comment on verse 21? Rosario, would you run back there, Tim? Is there anyone that has a question or comment after Rosario? Okay. Um, and I may have missed this, but God causes a deep sleep to fall on Adam, removes a rib. Uh, then are we assuming that the rest of Eve was made out of the dirt or the dust of the ground? Um, well, let's see here. I think the next text says, verse 22 answers. Ah, see? It says, and from the rib, which the Lord had taken from man, he made a woman. So verse 22 is, tells us that the woman came from the rib. Is that what you're asking? Yes, the woman came from the rib. Right. But a rib is not enough to make it. Oh, right, right. Okay. So what else formed? Was yes. it just God? So what about... Okay, so I take this to mean that God multiplied and, you know, if you think of God making Adam from the ground, you know, forming it with his hands, that's one way. But with this rib, like he points out, there's not enough, you know, substance there to spread it around to make a human. So I imagine that he, there was a multiplying and a, you know, like the five the loaves were multiplied and the fishes, that this rib, I... I guess he probably fashioned it and formed it and it just strengthened and lengthened and, you know, and added to it. Your question about the ground is it never says that there was any ground involved in it. Um, it just says from the rib. I would assume that it was just the rib and with, ever, with God's creative power added in. So that's a good question. Anyone else? Okay, let's look at verse 22. And it says, And from the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made a woman and brought her to the man. Well, we, um, we have just looked at, uh, in answering that question, a lot of the first phrase, the first section. And notice it does say here that God brings Eve to Adam. And so God presents Eve to Adam. 
And this is his act where he is intentionally bringing the two of them together and saying, here you, you, know, here you are, this is your other human, this is the one that you are to be with. And um, I think Adam instantly knew this was the one, this was the thing, this is not another animal, this is another human just like me. Now, in this verse, the fact that God brings her to Adam, there was no other witnesses to this, right? There's no other humans. There's only two humans. So, you know, Adam and Eve didn't have to date or court or there was no, you know, there was no one else. There was no other options. I know there's some people that say, man, I wish it was that way for me. You know, I wish it was that obvious. But Adam and Eve are the only two that had uh, quite that simple. And so God brings her to Adam. And some people have made a whole deal out of this. They say, God will bring the wife to you. Well, sometimes he does, perhaps, but there are other scriptures that talk about a man finding a wife. And there are other scriptures that talk about a father giving away a daughter. So there's, this happens in a number of, of ways now, but for this first instance, God brought Eve to Adam. Now, the name, let's see here, the name is going to uh, come up here in verse 23. So we'll hold some of the naming things for that. Um, in 1 Corinthians 11, it says that the woman is the glory of the man. And the creation piece with all this is just that Adam had already named all these animals. He had seen all the animals. He knew he did not have a helper suitable for him. God brings Eve, and the, the truth of this in 1 Corinthians eleven seven is based on creation. And I say this, this idea of glory of the man is that a man is supposed to take glory, or, or I'm trying to use words that are not the word glory, but the rejoicing, the pride of the man, the, um, any other synonyms for this idea of what? Delight, okay, apple of the eye, that sort of thing. And so we see this perfect situation developing. God brings Eve to Adam. Adam, is, is Adam disappointed? Adam's not disappointed. Is Eve disappointed? No, she's not. God's created them, and because there's no sin, there is no, neither one of them is uh, disappointed in the other. Everything is, they're in, uh, they're in the Garden of Eden, they are pleased, they are happy, and this is what we would think of as the perfect existence, right? This is two people um, getting along, loving each other, happy with each other, thrilled with each other, and God is the one that made it all, and God just smiles and says, great. Now that sounds really distant to a lot of us, doesn't it? That sounds far away to us because we know real life. Real life doesn't always work this beautifully, right? If you have a spouse or if you've been with someone, you know that people don't always... Um, you're not always rejoicing and proud of others and there's moments where things go awry, right? Things are not always smooth. But this is before sin. And God created the world in, in harmony and in perfection and we see a, um, a picture of what God wanted the creation to be without sin. See, sin ruins everything, doesn't it? Sin breaks down everything. And what we find in Scripture is that God has given us truth to help us first have our sins forgiven, then to have victory over sin in our life, 
and to one day enter a world where there is no sin. Remember how earlier I made connection of this story to Jesus and the bride of Christ? There's coming a day where Jesus will meet his church face to face. And the Bible says that he will cleanse us without blemish and without spot. Ephesians 5, same text. And guess what? On that day, we will be thrilled with him and he will be thrilled with us. And there will be no sin to mar up the picture. So we live right now, but there was a day where Adam and Eve were and there was none of this sin business. And there's coming a day where in Christ we will stand before him as his bride and we will get to experience this sort of thing as it was meant to be in a sense. Okay, so this verse 20, uh, is there any question or comment on verse 22 before we go further? Question or comment? Okay, verse 23 tells us, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, the joke goes here is that when Eve was first brought to Adam, he said what? Whoa, man, right? Whoa, man. Now, how do we know that's not real, that that's just a joke? Because he said something different, and the Bible says so. That's a, that's a good guess. What did you say? Because man created the joke? Yes, that's true. The reason we know it's not a joke is because Adam wasn't speaking English, right? Now, he might have thought, whoa, but uh, anyway, um, so he, in the text, he says, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. The woman and man in, in Hebrew is ish, this is man, and ish, ah, is woman. So it's the same concept as we have in English where we have man and woman and we put the W-O in front for woman, but on theirs, they have the ending. They put it on the end instead of on the beginning. So it's the same concept. I'll put the uh, man is ish and isha is woman. Okay. But notice how he says, he says, I will call her this because she was taken out of man. And this, this part here has, this is man, right? From this word over here. And this ending has the idea of, I believe it's from or out of. And that's why he says, I will call her woman because she was taken out of the man. And um, that's the name that he, that he gives to her. So this idea of flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones, we read the text in the New Testament. Also in 2 Samuel, there's a phrase that um, is used of relations, uh, as, a, as in people who are related to you. It says, then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. And the idea is that they are descendants or related, and therefore they're bone and flesh. But that, that statement, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, Adam is saying, she is mine. Like, she's connected to me. She is out of my very flesh. And so... Um, this is a statement by Adam where he's identifying with her, where there's a oneness, there's a unity, there's a loyalty there. And in a way, I call this a rough form of marriage vows. Um, remember, at this point, as I said, there's no other competition, there's no other humans. There was no possible way they could be unfaithful one to another. These were the only two humans on the earth at that time. 
But Adam still says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I'm going to call her woman because she was taken out of the man. And so he's, he's still identifying with her. He's still claiming her as his own. Um, verse 24 is where we're coming to at this point. Um, is there any other question or comment on verse 23? All right. Timothy is coming there in the back. Is there anyone else with a question or comment on verse 23? Okay. Uh huh. The joke still works. Okay. Because he said, oh, ah. <laughs> I like that. Ah, ish. Yeah, okay. Okay. That's good. The joke still works. So the Hebrews can tell this joke, and the English can tell this joke, and that's good. All right. Anyone else? Okay, verse 24, verse 24, uh, we're in chapter 2, 24. Now, this is one of the key verses in the Bible. This verse is quoted elsewhere. It's quoted in Ephesians 5. It's quoted by Jesus. And verse 24 is the word, therefore. It starts off with therefore. And it's saying, because of this, or on, does anybody remember when Jesus quotes it, how he says it? Does anybody remember the quote of Jesus? It's on the text on divorce where they say, can a man divorce his wife for any reason? And he says, well, from the beginning it was not so. And then he quotes the verse. And Jesus says, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother. You say, well, what's the cause? Well, this phrase, for this cause, is simply another way to say, therefore. Okay? So what's the therefore? Uh, one teacher always taught me in school, whenever you see a therefore, look and see what it's there for. So, why, why is it that because of what we read, we now say, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife? Why do we have, in verse 24, we have this word therefore, and it's telling us because of what we read, that we're going to make this conclusion, or we're going to look at it this way, or we're going to do this. And I'm saying, how does what we read in verse 24 connect to the prior verses? What's the relationship? Well, I, I think that's a very loaded question, but in short, the, the man needed a wife, mm -hmm. and God brought him a, a wife, and then now they, be, they become one person together and right so that now they're going to have a life together okay so therefore yes so so that therefore a man shall leave his father leave his mother cleave to his wife and then it says and they shall be what one flesh the one flesh connects to the flesh of my flesh bone of my bone and the idea is that because god made the first marriage and he did it in a way where he took out of Adam and he made this and, and Adam had this strong connection and he said, well, this is my own very body here that was taken out of me and this is now mine and we are, you know, we are one. That forms the basis for every other marriage for this one flesh and this closeness and this unity that follows. And the Bible is laying out a pattern that other marriages have this concept as well. Not the taking out of the rib specifically, but the idea of one flesh, oneness, unity. We are 
that close that that's like my own body and my own flesh right there. That closeness is what the Bible is teaching. So there is a whole lot that can be said on verse 24. But let's talk real briefly about the, the first couple phrases. Let a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. So there's two words here we want to look at in verse 24. Leave and cleave. All right. I wonder if this works the same way in Hebrew, where it's almost the same and it rhymes. Maybe not. Um, but God's design is that the one flesh... Now, remember I quoted the verse from Samuel where he said, this is our flesh and our bone, right? And it was a, a, a reference to people that are related to you. But now the Bible says that a man leaves his father and mother and then cleaves to his wife. That tells me that God is looking for a husband and a wife to have the oneness that Adam and Eve had. And to, and to do that, they have to leave mom and dad. Now, what does leaving mom and dad mean? Growing up, going out, being independent, right? Taking care of yourself, that's all good. Um, this idea of leaving, um, there are some parents that never change the relationship they have with their kids. They grow up and they get older and their mom still tells them what to do. They're, they're married, they have their own place, but mom still tries to be a mom like they're in the house and telling them what to do and so on. And the Bible here is saying that when you've found a wife, you're starting a new family, and this family has left this family. Now, you're still related by blood, and it doesn't mean you hate them or don't go home at Christmas or something. But it says you leave and you start a new family, right? And this family is not directly under the authority of this family anymore. Leaving. And um, sometimes in marriage counseling, when I do premarital counseling with couples, we talk about the relationship with in-laws and how sometimes one set or both sets of parents tries to still dominate and control life in that new home. So it says leave father and mother. So the relationship fundamentally changes financially, geographically, um, you know, uh, authoritative-wise, um, influence-wise, there's a change. There's a new priority. But then it says cleave to his wife. And the idea of cleaving is the idea of to be stuck together, like glue, like latched on together. And this, this glue is this oneness. And it's, to me, it's this idea of the, the rib and how close that rib is to the man's heart, and he's right here, and that wife is to be like she's a part of him. And they're so glued together, it's as though they're one. And this is setting up God's design, not just for the first home, but for perpetuating of homes. So my dad told me when I was growing up, he said, son, it's like, once you leave, he's like, you can't come back. He's like, you can't come back. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you can come back and visit me. He's like, but you can't come back. And, you know, it sounded kind of mean at the time, right? But he was trying to give this idea that when you grow up and get your own family, like, you know, you got to take care of yourself. Now, I do go back and visit them, and they still send a Christmas gift or something, so it's not like we don't have a relationship. We do. But um, the Bible is, is setting this up this way. Why? So the earth can be populated, so new families can be can be formed, 
And you see, as we look at this design, um, man, there's so much I want to cover and we need to wrap up soon. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to decide what to skip here. Um, let's, let's talk about this. This leaving and cleaving creates oneness. And this physical oneness creates new kids, right? And so this creates a chain. And when a kid is first conceived, is literally inside the mother, it's so connected. I mean, it's got an umbilical cord. And then when it's born, you know, it's nursing. And then little by little, as the kid grows up, they get more and more apart from the parents, right? They grow up and they get more and more apart and apart. And God's plan is that they would find another man or woman to start a new family with and to, you know, then eventually they have kids. And, you know, I don't know if you've followed this, but that's how the cycle of life goes all the way, you know, this is how we got here from Adam and Eve and all of them. So God set up a plan for how it's supposed to work. And in some cultures, the parents never end their authority over the kids. And the kid is married, the kid has kids, but the kid's still at home and the kid's still being told what to do and the parents are still paying all the bills and they're kind of under the thumb of the parents. And God just didn't set it up that way. That's not what God wants. And, you know, I think some kids get squelched when they don't, get out and be independent, you know. Sometimes the first few years of a young couple is kind of hard. Sometimes they kind of fall on their face and they make mistakes and they get in debt and they do stupid things. And parents sometimes are like, oh, oh, you know, we gotta, we just gotta jump in and do everything for them and save them. And no, let them get out there. Let them figure it out. Let them stand on their own two feet. And you know what? In 10 years, they will be much better off than, you know, if, if, um, you had jumped in and, and done all those things. So um, this is the, the picture, leaving and cleaving. Now, then the question comes up, well, what about, um, what about singleness? What about singleness in, you know, this is nice, but, you know, if I'm not married, uh, what, is, what does this all have to do with me? Well, it's, there's a whole lot we could say about all of this, too, but singleness did develop over time, and Adam and Eve first had kids, and we understand them to have married one another, and then from there, there's the branching off, and these various families are formed. But um, we have single people in the church. There's, Paul talks about singleness, 1 Corinthians 7. And over time, God knew that there would be single people because there wasn't always a perfect number of men and women born, okay? So I'm sure that there were single people before too long. And if everybody was single, we'd all not be here, right? So some people were and some people weren't. But this, um, you know, we see that God set up the idea of needing other people. And we made mention of this last week, how we need others. And there's marriage for that, there's family for that, and then there's broader relationships as well, church and extended family and things that create help in our life and, and sustenance and um, this ongoing relationship. But the basic design of how God intends the world overall is to function through family. And so some, some will not marry, and they will, you know, honor their parents and love their parents. And in our society, usually at 18 or 21 or whatever, single people eventually move out. But it's not as much about um, if there's not a new family forming, then it's not as vital that they be so disconnected, right? Because they could still you know, take care of mom and dad or live under their authority and it not be a problem. But when a new family forms, then you have new children and you have a new uh, framework. So I know there's a lot that goes into all this. Some of you may have questions. I understand all that. 
uh, I, I don't understand all your questions, but I'm saying I understand there could be a lot of questions. Um, and then the other thing I want to point out about this is that this relationship, this new relationship is a one flesh relationship. Now, I said that from this one flesh relationship come kids. Well, then this enters the idea of um, a man is supposed to leave his father and mother, cling to his wife, they too shall be one flesh. Well, when you have adultery, this strikes at the very heart of the marriage relationship. And today, um, th this is kind of obvious in one sense, but our society doesn't really process it this way. But you know, adulterers used to be called homewreckers. Have you ever heard the term homewrecker, something like that? Yes. Okay, they're still called that. And the idea is that a sexual relationship is meant to create a home, and it's meant to be a, a closed off you know, unit, and from that one flesh relationship comes kids, right? And we know that death, you know, messes this up, and sometimes there's a second spouse, and you have kids from this one, kids from that one, and divorce, and second marriages, and so, but we see the perfect design before the fall, and then comes in the fall, and all these different attacks come in, right? And things don't work perfectly, so to speak. And so the message of the Bible here in Genesis is just that God set up the world perfectly, and it was a good setup. It wasn't poorly set up. God set up, there's nothing wrong with God's setup. But then sin entered, and sin broke God's design. And that happens in marriage, it happens in animals, it happens in the soil, it happens in the weather. Like, everything doesn't work the way it's supposed to because of sin. And so Genesis is laying this groundwork picture, and it's trying to help us see this is the perfect world that God made. Here, and then eventually we'll get, this is the world you live in, and the problems you have, but then the Bible also takes us to the new heaven and the new earth where all this will be made right. And so we live in the middle of these two, but we get to look at kind of a snapshot of what this perfect world was like. And um, I think there's something in all of us that looks at that perfect world and just says, man, I wish I could, wish I could live there, you know? No pain, no sorrow, you know, life as it was meant to be. And this is what the scripture does for us is it helps us see that God didn't intend it this way originally, and that he will one day make all things new. All right, let's do verse 25. We're skipping over a number of things, but verse 25, um, it says, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Uh, okay, so this fact to us seems very strange in our society. We're like, oh my goodness, they didn't have any clothes on. Well, when God created Adam and Eve, they were much like the animals. Animals don't wear clothes, and humans didn't originally either. And there are people today that claim humans would be better off if nobody wore clothes and they were just all like animals. That's true if nobody was a sinner. But we are sinners. And sin is what brought clothes, which the first thing that happened after sin entered was clothes came. And so, you know, we're going to get to that next week. But it says here they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Now, isn't it interesting that the Bible links these two words together? It links the word naked with the word shame. Interesting. Now, did you know this is not the only place that the Bible connects these two words? Nahum 3.5, Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will lift up your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. In Revelation 3.18, we have... Um, 
He says, I counsel that you buy from me white clothing that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness does not appear. So over and over, they, the Bible links these two things. And so Adam and Eve didn't have any shame because they didn't have any reason to have shame. There was no sin. There was no other people, for one. But there was no, no shame. And remember, they were created perfectly. And they didn't, Adam didn't have any flaws. Eve didn't have any flaws. There was no reason to have clothes. There was no good reason. And so they're living in this state of innocence. They're living in this perfect world where they, you know, Adam or Eve was brought to Adam and they're in the garden and we don't know how much time passes between chapter 225 and chapter 3, verse 1. But some level of time passes. I don't know if it was some days. I don't know if it was weeks. It could have been years of time. We don't know. But we know chapter 3, if you've read the Bible before, chapter 3 tells us Around comes the serpent, around comes the temptation, Eve eats, Adam eats, and our world drastically changes. Um, let's just briefly summarize what we find before the fall. I'm going to kind of work my way backwards through the text. So we just mentioned this nakedness, we find that prior to the fall. We find family and marriage prior to the fall. Um, we don't have any record that they had had kids before the fall, so... We don't know that they had children before the fall. But, um, and in fact, I think it says her firstborn, so we know that they didn't have kids yet. But they had a marriage and they had each other. S next, we find sleep before the fall, when Adam slept. We find work before the fall. We do not find death before the fall, so there's life, but no death. There are names before the fall. There is a need for help before the fall. There's day and night, and certainly a lot of other details of creation. But certain things that we sometimes think of negatively actually existed before the fall. Some people have a negative view of work, right? Work is just a bad, bad thing. Well, it's not all bad because God made it before the fall. Sleep is not a bad, bad thing. God made it before the fall. Um, and all those other things that we find. Questions or comments, 24, 25, questions or comments. All right, Pastor Jeremiah, I'll start out. Anyone after him, question or comment? Okay. With verse... 24, I don't know if when you were in school, Dr. Spencer ever said this, but when we were going through this passage, he was saying that you have the leave and the cleave, and then with the one flesh, the Weave. weaving. Weave. So leaving, okay. cleaving, and weaving. Um, leaving and I found cleaving. that a good way to remember it. And weaving. And the weaving is, you know, the intermingling, uh, you know, the day-to-day, -day, like getting uh -huh. to know each other and Teamwork. creating a life together. You're weaving mm -hmm. together. Yeah. Um, and you can, you know, add a physical aspect to that as well. But right. um, with regard to verse 25 and the nakedness, like, it's speaking physically, of course, mm -hmm. but in the marriage relationship, there is, it goes deeper than that, right? Mm -hmm. And an important aspect of a marriage relationship is, like, emotional nakedness mm -hmm. and spiritual nakedness and just being completely open open mm -hmm. with each other and i guess you could use the word transparency right but just right. like the word that's being used here in the passage of nakedness like that full transparency and openness with each other i mean mm -hmm. physically the nakedness is important but more than that and maybe not more than that but along with that mm -hmm. you know marriages don't work if that's the only nakedness that happens if yeah. there's no 
financial and you know emotional and spiritual nakedness as well, relationships break apart. Yes. Yeah, and the idea is that someone is fully known, right, to know someone fully, and that openness that he's talking about is vital for marriage. So, you know, the leaving father and mother is to know someone better than you know your mom and dad. It's to be known by them more than you know your mom and dad and to have a unique relationship with them. So this is, this is that, you know, physical openness and, and the physical relationship, but also, like uh, he said, spiritually, um, that nothing is in between. Um, good comment there. Anyone else? Question or comment? Miss Debbie is next. Is there anyone after Miss Debbie? Question or comment? Anyone at all? Okay, we'll close with her then. This shows that it's more important to be married and not family. Like, um, like just talking about our living together. Sure. In reference to like living together, is that what you mean? Living together. Yeah. Yeah, and you, you're meaning like if you want to have a family, you need to be married, is what you're saying. Yeah. Yes, right, right. And, and, and we also right now, the Bible talks about singleness, and the Bible talks about widows, and the Bible talks about divorce. And again, what we find is in the perfect world, this is the perfect setup, right? And everything that we exist, that we experience, is you know <laughs> less than that, obviously. But God's design is yes, that that's how children would be raised with that you know that situation. But let's think about the opposite. Let's think about when someone does get married and then they get divorced. Going through a divorce can be the most traumatic and painful thing a person ever goes through sometimes. And if you think about the one flesh idea, if two become one and then they become two again, you have bleeding body parts, don't you? Right? You have things torn apart. And that's what marriage is, is it makes two people begin to become one they have one finances, they put themselves together and have children who have DNA from both, right? And then when that's ripped apart, there's that pain there. Well, the Bible says that, um, that God gives grace for where we live to help us in a sinful, broken world. So you mentioned your own story and you said, I wish I had done it that way, right? But you can't go back and relive that, right? You are where you are today, right? But God in his word can give grace to help us live in less than ideal circumstances. And in your situation, that's with your kids and so on. But the point is other people, they may have a marriage together, but they have some other piece of their life that's not how God intended it to be, right? Um, so we see this perfect picture of this ideal existence and then sin enters and the ruin, but God gives grace to do right from where we are today, you know? And I think just the fact that you would say that you know, and just be like, that's what I did, and, you know, that's not God's design. To me, that's supporting what the Word of God is saying, and it's helping others who haven't yet made those choices, right? And that's where we want to live with where people are today and moving forward. So, good. Good comment. Thank you, Debbie. Anyone else? Yes, in the back, and then we'll, we'll do in the back and then end up with Pastor Jeremiah there. Um, in the beginning of the lesson, you stated about women and men rivalries yes yeah so um how does that relate to the scripture um you know i know you said that flesh of my flesh mm -hmm. um 
what is it? Flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. And bone of my bone. Bone mm -hmm. of my bone. Yeah. So how does that relate to um, the woman and the man, um, you know, having tension with each other? Right. Well, God's original design, he set them up to appreciate and respect each other and to have a relationship, but he made them very differently. And this is where some of the, if I could be blunt, some of the feminism and on the flip side, some of the chauvinism that exists in our world, these two isms, they try to lift one up above the other. Like we're the good ones, they're the bad ones and vice versa. And God didn't create one gender good and one gender bad. Like that's not how he created it. So we have the perfect creation where they're different, but they're harmonized and they respect, they love each other. There's a unit. Well, then when sin enters, people begin to do wrong. And then when people do wrong, you have a reason to be upset with them. And this kind of enters. The, the Bible gives evidence that there were women that were mistreated. There were men that were mistreated by women and vice versa in the scripture. And that people didn't function with, with the way he set things up. So the, the feminism and the chauvinism and those type of things that go on today are, are symptoms of the problem of sin where we, we want to put the blame where it doesn't belong. So if there's a problem with a man and we say, well, that's men for you, right? Well, A, not all men do whatever it is you're talking about, whatever the problem is. And B, the true problem with them is not that they're a man, it's that they're a sinner. And, and vice versa, you can flip the script and with women, the same thing. Well, that's women, and that's how women are. And I don't like women. No, no, no. Each of them are sinners. But, and I didn't, I didn't, I kind of skipped over this part. But there's a lot of talk and arguing about are men and women equal and, and is someone above the other and submission and all that. And the truth is we're, they were created equally, but they were created different and with different roles. And so it's kind of like saying, which is, which is, um, are, are, are hot and cold equals? Well, they're not, they're not equals, but they're, they're different, but it's the same like concept, like it's temperature, right? Are red and blue equals? Well, they're both colors, but they're not the same, like they're different, you know? And men and women, are they equals? Well, equally valuable, absolutely, but we're different. And so um, sometimes that enters into the debate and the discussion. The Bible lays it out that God made man without sin, God made women without sin, and they were meant to be in unity and harmony. But when we see what we have today with the gender battles, that is an evidence of the brokenness of sin and looking for the wrong thing to blame. And so the problem with the person is never the fact that they're male or female, man or woman. The problem is that they're a sinner. And so, you know, and sometimes people try to blame their sin on their gender. You know, they get mad and they're like, well, men just get mad over things like that, you know. Well, no, like you have an anger problem. That's an anger problem. It's not a man problem. You know, women get angry too. You know, I mean, men and women both get angry, right? It's an anger problem. So um, does that help at all? Okay, yeah. So, um, but, but I like how Genesis shows the perfect design and chapter three, we see it start to break down and it's still breaking down. But the good news we have as Christians is that through Christ, we can be forgiven. We can be helped and changed. And then one day we'll enter into his world without any of these things. That is our hope. Let's close in prayer and give thanks. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I forgot your question. Forgive me. That's okay. It, and it's a comment, not okay. a question. But just thinking about, like, especially you talked at the beginning about the bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, mm -hmm. and how connected that Eve was to Adam. Yeah. And, you know, how special 
the relationship is because how she came out of him and how close she is to his heart and just the way that, that God created that. And, you know, obviously the marriage relationship when it functions properly is beautiful and, and wonderful. Mm -hmm. And then we look at the passage you pointed out in Ephesians 5 where he's talking and he says in verse um, – where he says that um, Jesus says that the in verse thirty we are members of his body of his and of flesh. his flesh and of his of bones, his bones. Yeah. and that's just a very like real close. I mean, yeah. he compares it to the same as a marriage yes. relationship, and I mean, you know, I don't I haven't been married for thirty years, but having you know if if I were married for thirty years, that close the closeness of that bond. Yeah. After 30 years, could be, you know, enormously tight. Yeah. And you know, Christ says that we're members of His body and of His flesh and of yes. His bones. And yeah. over time, you know, as a marriage relationship leaves and cleaves and weaves together, you know, we should be with Christ as well. You know, leaving the world and cleaving to Him yeah. and weaving our lives around His Word and His yeah. design. And the more that we do that, the more we want to do that. Yes. And then we don't want to leave him and his side to go off to this sin or that right. sin or the world or yeah. um, all of those things. So yeah. it's just very – it was brought into perspective how close Christ desires for our relationship with him to be. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, some excellent thoughts today. We'll pick up in Chapter 3 next time. We'll close in prayer, and then we'll give our announcements, and you can roll on your way. Lord, we thank you for this part of your word, and it's so foundational. It's, it's a look at your world that you made, and we live in this world, and we know ours is different than, than the one that you originally made. It's broken, and sin has really ruined things in many ways. But we still see the importance of your design and of how, thing, how you started everything, and we know that your commands still uh, come through to today, and we want to live in your ways, but we also know that we live in a sin-cursed world. So would you give us grace and help to live from right here today how you want us to live and to know you personally in a way that changes our heart and then to remember with hope and faith what is coming yet, that day of, of perfect harmony with you. And one day you're going to look at us, your bride, and you're going to smile you're not going to have any shame over us. And we rejoice as we think of that day. We know right now that we are imperfect and we fail you, but we thank you for your, your faithful grace and mercy towards us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, we're going to...